We're in the middle of our early church series, and so far in this series, we've talked about how the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gifts necessary to reach their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had the passion to share the gospel frequently and with everyone and did just about everything together. They prayed together, they worshiped together, they ate together, they saw healing together, they endured persecution together. We also learned that uh, in order for them to continue to survive, they needed a good theology, they needed to be dedicated to prayer and focused on discipleship. And as we talked about last week with Saul, they knew that the Sauls in their life were desired by God, and it was their calling to demonstrate the mercy of God towards them. And today, we continue to talk about the lost in our community. Before we do, last week we talked about Saul on the road to Damascus. We didn't really focus on that part. We focused on Ananias and him being the one chosen by God to pray over Saul to restore his sight. And a few things happened after that uh, in the uh, end of chapter 9 that we really didn't talk about, but I want to catch you up on it so that we kind of get the flow of the story before we skip ahead a little bit. After Saul's sight was restored, he immediately went out to Damascus and started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Started uh, completely, it was a 180 degree turn for him uh, because it would be like me or another pastor who's been doing this or been involved in Christianity his entire life and then turning to be a Muslim. Like it was a dramatic change for Saul, who was a teacher of the law, a teacher of the Jewish faith, to go and to be, start preaching about Jesus, who he worked so hard to destroy. And the Jews weren't very happy with him, started getting really confused, and then started going and was like, we're going to try and kill him. And so he had to be a little you know, looking over his shoulder for a little bit. Uh, but then he, he goes to the disciples. And these are the disciples of Christ that have come since uh, the, the first church, the early church has started. And they were all afraid of Saul, rightfully so, because he killed some of their friends. He uh, imprisoned a lot of their friends and he gave them a lot of trouble, stoned them. And so they, they were scared of him. But there was this one disciple named Barnabas and Barnabas will come later. He'll be a very important figure later. But Barnabas would bring Saul to the apostles, which are the original 11 plus the one, and convinced him, convinced them that Saul was a follower too. And once he does this, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, shifts the focus back to Peter. And at the end of chapter 9, Peter encounters Aeneas, who had been paralyzed, for a while, and then Dorcas, who had been pronounced dead, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he healed both of them, raised Dorcas from the dead, just as Jesus had done. And when you really look at that, uh, just for your own personal study of that, those are reflections to what Jesus had did in his ministry that you see throughout the Gospels. And so when Jesus said, you'll do the same things and greater things than what I can do, this is what he meant, and this is a demonstration of that through Peter's life. Then we get to Cornelius. And so um, in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet began to be let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simeon's house, where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, and don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the man, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told, a holy angel told to, to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment that we get to to worship you and to hear your word. Lord, I, I pray that you continue to speak through me as you only know how and as you always do. Lord, may, may I be a witness. May I be here on this platform speaking your word as an act of grace and as, act, as an act of worship towards you. Lord, I pray that you prepare all of our hearts that we give up our hearts and our lives to you so that we can hear what you have to say. Lord, may people leave today and not hear me speak, but hear you speaking through me directly to their heart. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, I, I know I've talked about this before. I am very deeply General Baptist, like deeply rooted in General Baptist. Um, so, my dad was a Baptist and a Pentecostal, uh, depending on what parent he was with. So he was a Baptocostal. And as you all know, my mom, she was always General Baptist. And so um, when they came together, uh, dad came here. He, he was here for a little bit, got ordained here, um, and then started his ministry and hasn't left General Baptist since. With that being said, uh, I... I'm so general Baptist, and, and I'm, I'm kind of proud of this, okay? Uh, I'll be honest. I'm a little proud of this. Um, I'm so general Baptist that I've never had a, a drop of alcohol touch my mouth, touch my lips, anything. And so uh, if you know anything about general Baptists, we, we kind of decline the um, going and having alcohol um, in households, drinking of it, anything like that. Uh, because we look at the scripture, and this is the reason behind it. We look at the scripture that talks about how drunkenness um, is a sin. And so we, we look at that and we're like, we're not even going to invite the temptation in. And so we, we abolished, I guess if you want to put it, abolished alcohol. And so my entire life, that's not been who I was. I've never had the desire to, to have alcohol in my life. Of course, it was never available in the home, but even after I got out of the home, I still didn't have that desire. And so I want to tell you just a little bit about how deeply rooted I am in this. Chloe and I, we went to Olive Garden last night for, uh, I almost said Thanksgiving, for, val for Valentine's Day. I don't know why Thanksgiving popped in my head. 
but it was it was for Valentine's Day because uh, she's got to work on Valentine's Day, and so we're we're kind of busy. But we went to Olive Garden, and we walked in, and they said it would be an hour wait. And I was like, okay. I mean, I kind of expected that. It's the weekend before Valentine's Day, and about twenty five minutes into our wait, the the waiter or the the server, the host, whatever they're called, they uh, the person up front that you meet says. We, we have tables available in our cafe area, if you, but it's first come, first serve. And so I looked over, and there was another person. They said, what's the cafe area? They said, well, it's our bar. And I looked over at Chloe. I said, we're not going, <laughs> right? We're not doing it. I don't care if we have to wait three more hours. We're not going in there. But that's, that's just something that I've had in my life. That's part of who I am. Now, as a pastor of General Baptist Ministries, I feel like I can't. Right there's there's somewhat of a of an oddity to it to where if I were to go in and sit in the bar even though I know that I'm not drinking, and everyone around me knows that I've not ordered anything but water, there's still that perception that I would have from people. Now I say all that to, and it'll make sense in a minute, but Peter gets this vision from the Lord, and while he's getting this vision, he sees these four-legged animals, these birds and these reptiles. And this voice tells him to get up, fill, and eat. Now Peter replies, something that might be some it might be a little odd to you, but he says, I don't eat those things because they're impure and unclean. I've never done that before. Never partaked in that. And he's completely right. Because according to the law of Moses, you couldn't eat those animals. Right, The four-legged animals that were probably being referenced in here were the ones that were prohibited by the law of Moses. The law of Moses had multiple laws telling which animals you could and couldn't eat. And it was mostly what you couldn't eat. So if you had any of these animals, and, and honestly, we don't eat most of the animals that they were talking about anyways here in America. It's not part of our culture. But one of them, uh, one of the unclean animals that we often talk about because it's something that we do eat here in America is pork. And so if you've had barbecue in your life, then by Jewish standards, you're unclean. So I'm the uncleanest person in the room, right? If you've had bacon before, unclean, you're unclean according to the law of Moses. And so we we talk about pork because that resonates with us here. But there's other ones like reptiles. I don't know how many of you have eaten a snake before, but that's also unclean. So if you just go and you devour snakes all the time, uh, unclean by the law of Moses. Uh, Other reptiles, anyone have an iguana recently? No? Also unclean according to the law of Moses. And so in this vision, Peter's seeing these animals. He's seeing a pig and a boar running around. He's seen all these animals that he knows is unclean. And then this voice says, go get you some bacon. Right? Go get you some pork. Right? Pulled pork that's been smoked on the... Like, go get it. And Peter's like, that's not who I am. That's not what I do. That's not who I am. I, I don't eat those things. Those things are unclean according to the law of Moses that you put into place. And Peter, being the good Jewish man, he's like, I don't eat that. He's like, I'm, I'm still following the law of Moses. I know that we're not under the law anymore, but, you know, that's part of my convictions. 
similar to how my convictions, you know, we can argue all day on whether drinking is biblical or not. A drunkenness is a sin. That scripture is clear on that. But as far as social drinking, we can debate all day if that's right or not. But what I'm saying is, that's not who I am. And so Peter was saying, when he was looking at that, and he was like, killing, like, that's not who I am. I don't eat those things. But the voice replies, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. Now, Cornelius is a centurion, and he, he gets this vision from an angel. And this vision from the angel tells him to send some men to go get Simon, who's also called Peter, to come to his house because he has something to say to him. That's all Cornelius knows. And so Cornelius sends these men. Well, around the same time that Peter gets this vision, he's thinking about it. He's wondering, like, what, what was that about? Uh, these three men get there. And they, they, Peter brings them in. They have a meal together. They sit down, have a meal together. You'll find that where it says that he invited them into the household. That means they, they sat together. They ate. He, they were the guests. They probably slept there overnight the next day. He goes to Cornelius' house, and he says this, Acts chapter 10, verse 28. He says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. See, it took Peter a little bit to figure out what the vision was about. The vision was not saying that you need to go and eat pork, you need to go and eat some bacon, because... I told you to. It's about people. See, Peter needed a, a change of his perception of who people were and who God was actually trying to reach because up to this point, Peter has only been concerned with the Jewish people. He's only been concerned with people that looked like him, that acted like him. And so as he was looking towards these Jewish people, he's on fire and he's telling people, he's like, hey, I know what we've said before, but the Messiah is here and he's, he died and he rose again. And since he rose again, we've all been set free. You just got to believe and you have to have faith. And so what, what happens is he's reaching all of these Jewish people, but he's not talking to the Gentiles. Now, in their culture, Gentiles and Jews did not get along. They didn't get along at all. They would purposely avoid talking or interacting with the Gentile. And the reason was, is because Gentiles were ceremonially unclean. And so if you, if you don't know what a Gentile is, it's anyone who's not of the line of Abraham. If you're not part of the, the 12 tribes of Israel, then you're not a Jew and you're a Gentile. And so everyone outside of the 12 tribes was being very poorly reached. And this was a problem with the early church that they, that they quickly changed, but it was a problem with the early church because they were only trying to reach the people that looked like them, acted like them, and were around them all the time. But now what God is saying is, just like with pork, just like with the food and the animals that I told you to go and kill and eat, there's people that don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't do what you do. They do things that you think are unholy, but I still love them. I still care for them. I still desire them. And so uh, I, I said that at the beginning, talking about drinking, because that's not who I am. And I don't believe that God will ever ask me to drink 
drink a cold one or anything. You're not going to ask me to do that. But as far as my coldness, I got convicted to, or yesterday. As far as my coldness to, to refuse to be seen in a bar, to be, refuse to be seen in the bar section of, their, uh, of the restaurant. What if this is similar to that? Where normally all, all of me is like, no, that's not who I am. But I can go to a bar and not drink. I can go wherever I need to and not participate in the activities, but spread the love of Christ while I'm there. Here's the danger in me saying that because I'm not, I don't know who, and I don't know if it's any of you, but someone, maybe it's online, will hear this and say, well, then I can go to all the bars that I want to and I can drink with them and I can you know, just act exactly like them, but still share the gospel with them. That's not what I'm saying. Don't use God as an excuse to be sinful in your life. If you, if, you, if you choose to go to a bar and do some Jesus ministry there, don't drink. You have to be set apart. You have to be holy. Because if you look just like them, then they're going to be like, well, I'm fine without it. This is what it means to be set apart, to be holy. And so when we're, when we're reaching people this year, there's going to be a lot of people that don't look like you. They'll act like you. They might, make, they might make you a little uncomfortable to be around, but God still loves them. He still desires them. You see, with the early church, they looked at the Gentiles as unclean because they, they had never been forgiven of their sins. They had never brought a sacrifice to the temple, mostly because they weren't allowed to. But since they didn't, they were unclean. But God told Paul, but he also told Peter. He said, listen, I love all people. I'm not coming for just a chosen specific group of people. I'm coming for all people. And that's what General Baptist doctrine will talk about. We're, we're, it's not about the elect. God came for all. He died for all. He rose again for all who would believe in him. But if we think that this problem doesn't happen today, you're wrong. Because churches have been swapping sheep for generations. I, I remember, you know, since I've been in General Baptist Ministries for so long, I'd go to the summit with dad. And I'd hear about all these churches, how they would gain hundreds of people every year. They're like, we're growing by hundreds every year. And it took me a little bit to figure out that when I was older, I realized that all of the people that they reached were church people. They improved their programs. They improved their services. They uh, made everything look nice and, and really attractive towards Christians. And so Christians were leaving their churches to go and be at other churches. Right? And I don't think that's necessarily wrong for people to do because if you're not getting filled with the Spirit, if you're not getting filled with the Word, if you're, if you're struggling in a church, struggling to grow in a church, and you can't find a community in a church, then go to a different church and find a different community. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But when the leadership of that church is seeking to reach churched people, trying to say, my church is better than yours, and so you guys need to come over here instead. 
Listen to me when I say this. We could have every single person from Tilden, every single person from the Pool Missionary Baptist Church, every single person from Cairo United Methodist Church come here on one Sunday and not grow a single person. Why do I say that? Because they're church people. They've already been saved. That's not what we're here to do. This isn't our mission. Our mission is to reach the lost. Not to grow this church to have this crazy number of people. We're not trying to get 300 people. We're trying to get 300 baptisms. We're trying to reach the lost. And when we start reaching the lost, there's going to be people in here that look very different than us. They're going to act very different than us. Right? When I'm talking about reaching people, you should feel uncomfortable when someone's sitting beside you thinking that they're going to steal something out of your purse. That's the type of uncomfort that reaching the lost that don't look like you, don't act like you, don't smell like you, doesn't look like a church person. That's who we need to reach. And there's a lot of people like that in our community. When churches started bickering and fighting, it divided the church. It, we kind of, we didn't lose our power, but we kind of lost our influence on people because now we've got a bunch of church hoppers that are going here for their kids ministry where they're going here for the preaching and then they're going here for the small groups and so they're involved in three churches and they see nothing wrong with that and all of this all three churches they're counting that person as their attender right so now we've got one person that's going to three separate churches and is being counted on their attendance and you can see where now it looks like we have millions of followers of Christ, but really we only have a few. But when the churches started doing this, they became so focused on being the best in town, the best in their city, the best in their community, that they lost focus of the Great Commission and started looking inwardly. And when churches started looking inwardly, they stopped caring about who was on the outside. And for the ones who are on the inside, who were wanting to actually encounter God, the ones who were actually trying to grow in their faith, they suffered and they struggled and probably eventually left. That's not who I want us to be. Just like Peter had to have his perspective changed and start looking outwardly, I want our church to also look outwardly. I want us to feel a little uncomfortable with who we're actually reaching. And it will look as surprising as me walking into a bar. Maybe you too. You walking into a bar and sharing the gospel with people. But that's who we need to be. That's the Great Commission. Because we need to reach everyone. Part of the early church, as they're developing and they're working through this perspective change. They're like, but, but all the Jews, they look like us act like us those gentiles they're weird they eat pork they eat bacon Ugh. right that's what they're thinking oh, that's disgusting they don't smell good right i'm gonna have to come with my perfume and, and spray them down like if they come into our church but when the perspective changed when they really looked it broke their heart for the people that they were missing on reaching. 
And that's when they started reaching. And then you'll find where Saul, who's also called Paul, will, will go and he'll start these missionary journeys and then it will just continue to build the early church and the history of the church up to this point to where all of us Gentiles over here in America are still talking about this thing that happened 2,000 years ago. Now, when Peter gets back, people were criticizing him. The Jews, the Jewish Christians at the time, they said, wait, so you mean to tell me that you not only interacted with the Gentile, but you ate with him, you sat down, you just spent some time with them, and you preached the gospel of Jesus to them? What's wrong with you? Right? Just like if any of you, let's be honest, if any of you walked into Olive Garden and saw me sitting at the bar, you wouldn't talk to me, you go and talk to everyone else. I saw Pastor Logan and he was at the bar. You'd be going to him, <laughs> going to the barbershop. I'd walk into the barbershop and hear that I was at the bar. That's what would happen. But this is how they were reacting. They're like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not who he is. What is he doing there? What were you doing there? And Peter explains it to him, tells him everything that happened. He's like, I, the, the angel of the Lord came to Cornelius and then he came to me and I got this vision and I, I just followed what God was calling me to do. And God told me, don't call something unclean that I've already made clean. You see, Christ died for all so that all of us could be clean. There's this story that I've heard many, many years throughout my dad's ministry and hearing it from other pastors of this other pastor. I don't know where it originated. I don't know what church it was. I don't know what pastor it was, but this pastor of a larger church in a larger city, he dressed up like a homeless man. And they had a lot of homeless people in their community. And he dressed up like this homeless man. He covered himself up with dirt. He was completely unrecognizable and he sat by the church doors. And as service was about to start, all these people started walking right by him and they continued to just walk by him, not talking to him. Maybe a few people would, would glance over at him and kind of pulling up their nose to him. But when service was about to start, he got up and he got inside and he started walking down the aisle. And he said, I remember hearing all of the whispers from my people talking about who is this man? What does he think he's doing? Why is he walking up towards the stage? And the pastor gets up there and, and he he tells them, you know, I'm your pastor and every single one of you walked right by me. No one invited me in. No one offered me any coffee in the lobby. No one came out and gave me any food. They just simply walked by and acted like I didn't exist. And he called for the church to be better. But maybe you have a person in your life that you want them to go to church, but maybe not this church. Maybe you want them to be saved, but you don't want to get so involved with their mess that you become, you think that you'll be messy too. Like, well, the only place that I can actually go and reach them is here, and I don't really want to go there. And so maybe if I can convince them to come to me, then, then I'll, tell, I'll share the gospel with them. But that's not how Christ worked. Christ didn't say, all of you people, you must come to me first, and then I'll save you. No, he said, I'm coming down to earth. I'm going to save them where they are. I'm going to meet them where they are. And if they reject me, fine. But if they love me, I'm here. And, and this, is, this is what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to go to the dark, deep places. To the point to where all the other religious churches in our area are like, what is that church doing? Why is that church going there? 
because we love the people just as God loves the people. You got that person that maybe is a little dirty in their life. They got some dirt piled up. Maybe it's physical, you can smell it. Or maybe it's spiritual where you can see it. And you're like, I don't know if I necessarily want to invite them because I know that they'll sit by me. Don't be tempted to call unclean, to see them as unclean when God can make them clean. God can create something new in them. We can't make them clean. We can't create anything new in them, but God sure can. And he can make them ceremonially clean because he died the ultimate sacrifice. But more importantly, he rose again. And he conquered your sins and my sins and their sins so that you could be clean, so that all of us could be clean before God. You see, during the times of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, what you'll find is that they were so focused on being clean before God. And the reason for that is because if they were unclean before God, then they would not go to heaven. Right? To kind of relay it to, to, to our talk today. They would say, well, if I didn't sacrifice the moment that I sinned, if I didn't go and present a sacrifice so that I would be ceremonially clean, then if I die today, I might not make it to heaven. And in the new covenant, Christ said, now, don't worry about all those sacrifices anymore. I'll do it myself. I'll pay the ultimate price. I'll rise again because, yes, I could die just like every other innocent person in Rome had died on the cross before. But the hope that we have is in the resurrection of Christ. It's not in the cross. It's in the resurrection. Because if Christ didn't rise again, then we'd still be messed up. We'd still be without hope, but since Christ rose again, he said, I've made you clean and I'm going to resurrect you too. I'm going to raise you up into a new life too, so that you could be made clean and be made holy before God. And maybe this is you, maybe it's someone online, or maybe you just have, you've heard this before, but people think that they need to get clean before they come to church. People think that they need to get clean before they start talking about God before they open up a Bible. I'm here to tell you, you will never get clean enough. It's like bathing in a mud puddle. No matter how much soap you use, you're still gonna be filthy. But God sent Christ to take you out of the mud puddle, to make you clean. And yes, all Christians struggle with wanting to put their foot back in the mud. They all struggle with sin. They all look back and they're like, oh, the spirit's willing, but the, the flesh is weak. But that's where Christ is right there holding our hands saying, no, you don't need that. That's not you anymore. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You're loved. Yes, you were broken, but now you're restored. Yes, you were unclean, but now you're clean. You're mine. If you got some dirty people in your neighborhood and your family, God can make them clean. If you have some seemingly clean people who still got a little dirt in their life that they're not dealing with, God can still make them clean. 
God desires for the unclean to be made clean, but he won't clean the unclean unless the unclean want to be cleaned. I'll say it again. I know. God desires for the unclean to be made clean, but he won't clean the unclean unless the unclean want to be cleaned. What that means, God desires for you to be made holy. He desires for you to find his purpose for you. But unless you want it to, he's not going to force it on you. Part of that purpose that God has for each and every one of us is reaching the unclean, eating with them, investing in their lives, being the light into their life, and going to the deep and dark places, the places that you thought that you would never go. But God is saying, no, your perspective has to change. You can reach people in the darkness and you can reach them in the light too.